from verse 4. The context is, is that David is now enthroned as the king of Israel. There's peace in the nation of Israel. And he has built in Jerusalem a palace. And the scriptures say that it was a palace of red cedar wood. And we can imagine like a cedar chest, the fragrance of that as he's about, you know, going about his house. He can smell it. And he's at peace. Life is good. But he's troubled. It's actually out of a time that is very, very good that he thinks about the Lord. There's no crisis or trial at this moment, but he thinks, I wish the Lord didn't live in a tent. Perhaps he could look out of that palace and see the tabernacle, the tent, that moved around with Israel. And probably a little shabby by now. And he's looking around, he's like, wow, I wish I could build a house for the Lord. And the Lord comes to him through the prophet Nathan and he speaks. That night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I've moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, that is, in addition to this promise that was previously made in a covenant to Abraham and reaffirmed to Moses as they were making their way to the promised land of peace. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me, Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision Nathan spoke to David. This is God's holy word. Thanks be to God. Once upon a time, a handsome king fell in love with a poor girl who was a servant. 
really a slave to a cruel mistress. And this king took off of his crown, and he hid his sword underneath his cloak, and he went out to rescue the girl. He did, and she fell in love. She fell in love with him because now he was her hero, little realizing that he was a king. They got married, and they lived in a tent, and they traveled all around the land. And one day the king revealed himself to be the king. And he said, the land is my kingdom, and I dwell in my kingdom, and today I will build you a home. No more will we travel about in a tent. It will be a magnificent, warm home to raise our children. All the world will see the home and they will marvel. There will be no home to compare to this. I will fill every room with children. We will adopt, as well as have offspring, sons and daughters. And we will adopt them from every nation all over, and they will love living in this home. No one, my darling, will ever forget your name. No one will ever forget our children. No one will ever forget this house. Never. All who look at the house and live in the house will marvel all the days of their life and forever. Now that's a, that may seem like a fairy tale to us. But if we can leave here today mindful that we are no longer orphans or homeless children. But as Christians, we are sons and daughters with a rich inheritance. It is promised to us and it is being delivered. And our faith grows strong when we observe in the life of David that it was fulfilled to him literally with brick and mortar through his son Solomon and the, the kingly line remaining with him even to the ultimate fruition of King Jesus out of that, quote, house of David. But it projects another coming of Jesus Christ when he will deliver eternally on our eternal home. I want to make three quick observations about this text this morning with three takeaways. First of all, I want you to see that God's first priority is our relationship with him, not a house for himself. Grace first. The relationship first. Newlyweds do well to focus first on their love for one another. And they can make rich promises. One day we will have children, or one day we will build a house, or one day we will be out of debt. One day we'll, we'll be able to move into this location. One day we'll be able to have this. But they focus on sustaining love in their relationship first. Not material goods, and not even their own wants as much as the other person's needs. God's first priority is our relationship with him, not a house for himself. So he comes to David in verses 8 through 10 with old words 
but is spoken with a fresh spirit. In other words, he comes along and he pulls out like an antique dealer, this old covenant promise to Abraham, and later it was seen also revisited with Moses, and now he revisits it again. And he's saying, this is a promise that I made to them, and I'm making to you again in all freshness. In verse 8, we see that he says, you're going to be a prince over my people. Verse 9, Your enemies are going to be cut off because I'm going to make your name great. Remember to Abraham, childless Abraham? He says, I'm going to make you to be great among the nations. You're going to be the father of the nations. Verse 10, I'm going to appoint a place for my people. I'm going to plant them in that place. And then they're going to dwell in that place to be disturbed no more by violent men. They're going to be at peace. A place, Canaan. I'm going to plant them there. They will never be uprooted again. They're not gypsies. It's the promised land, and I fulfill my promises, and they're going to live there at peace. We know on this side, on this side of Christ's resurrection and ascension, that that promise is the new Canaan, the new heaven and the new earth, a place planted forever, living at peace. God never in his covenant promises forgets the relationship first. Old Palmer Robertson in his book, The Price of the Covenant, uses a Scottish word, supersede. And he says, the relationship of the covenant promise, I will be your God and you will be my people, sets on top of, it supersedes everything else. Yes, we have an inheritance. Yes, we have a great name. Yes, we dwell in peace with our king, but first, because a relationship was begun with us. God loves to be in relationship with his people. That's his first priority. Secondly, God's plan is to build the house himself. David's plan was echoed by Nathan as a good plan, a good idea. But God has something else in mind. God comes, and if you look at verse 12 and 13, It says that I will raise up offspring. Well, if you look at verse 11, he says, Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. And then he begins to detail the plans. He says in verse 13, He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. You see, no man can build this type of house. It's rather confusing at first if you read through this because it appears that he's talking about building David a house. That's what he says here. I will build, you're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to make you a great house. I'm going to make you a great kingdom. But then he says, I'm going to make a house for my name. What's, What's going on here? Well, it's a house that no man could build, no man could even think of the design. This is a grand house that is, in essence, what he's saying is, I am going to dwell, I'm going to make a house for my bride and for my people. And I'm going to dwell in their land, I'm going to dwell in their house, and they're going to dwell in my house. Think about kind of like a a family compound, family cul-de-sac where um, when I was growing up, there used to be a lot of 
cul-de-sac communities where the dad and the mom lived here and grandma and grandpa lived here and mother and dad lived here. And it was like you could go freely, even without knocking, into any of those homes. Each one was independent, but they were all interrelated because they were all family. Jesus, we're told in the Gospel of John, Jesus was born, he took flesh, and he dwelt among us. And the word for dwelt is tabernacled. Jesus was a house among us. We could go and we can go to Jesus and dwell in him, but we know now the Holy Spirit, which Paul says our body is a temple, a tabernacle, the dwelling of God. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. We're in community this morning as brothers and sisters in God's house. Now this is a theater to be sure, but when we gather in his name, God is present with us. God is in the house because it's his house. It's a, it's a very, very interesting thing to me, but I would leave you with this. Everybody wants for authentic, real community. Authentic, real community is the greatest evangelical, evangelistic witness and tool that we have in the world. When we demonstrate that God is in the house, that God is in our fellowship, we demonstrate the Emmanuel principle, God with us. God, Jesus Christ didn't come and then leave us and now we're in an intermission. Jesus says, I send you to help. I'm still with you. I'm in your midst. I'm with you in your home when you leave this morning. I'm with you right now as you worship. We've come into God's house and when we go, he's going back into our house as we leave. And when we witness supernatural community, the world watches. If we don't witness that, well, we're going to lose. We can't compete with what the world offers on Sunday morning or other times of worship. We can't compete. But when we can demonstrate that we're not just drive-through worshipers and consumers, but we're family and we love one another, that we look to God as our Father and we have confidence that our prayers are heard and answered. When we demonstrate that we have a, a place and that we have peace, that's a great witness. And that's the house that God has built. Finally, the house that God builds for those that he is in relationship with is a home. So first, God says relationship is first with me. Secondly, I'm building a house. Third, that house is more than a structure. It's not an institutional church. It's a home. Look at the gospel. The gospel is contained in two places here. Verse 8 and then in verse 15. Verse 8 says, To David, I took you from the pasture from following sheep that you should be a prince over my people. And then in verse 15 it says, My steadfast love will not depart from you. After saying that I will treat your offspring as my sons, and I will discipline them, but I will also put my steadfast love upon them. What he's about here is building a home. It's called the doctrine of adoption. I take you from not only the pasture, but being behind sheep. You know, I always look at shepherds, and I think it's great you see them out front, and they're leading the flock. Come on. But he's saying, no, you are behind the sheep. And we know what is taking place 
at the end of the flock. You're kind of kind of a dirty job. So not only are you in the pasture, out in the wild, but you're back in the rear of the pack. But he says, I see you, and I call you from such a low, humble position, our dark, forgotten place, and I make you royalty. The doctrine of adoption is a it is related, but to our own failing, we often disconnect it from the doctrine of glorification. Would you please tell your heart this truth this morning? It's the gospel. Would you please tell your heart this morning that because you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are not only forgiven, but you're made a son or daughter, and that you're not only a son or daughter, but you're a prince and a princess, you're royalty. You are crowned royalty with a promised future home with God forever. The promise was made to David. It was ratified by Jesus and he reminded it of us. He says, I go to build a home for you. And that promise will be kept to us. God keeps his promises I just want to encourage you to unite, unite in God's house as you would unite in a home. That we would gather in this place as sons and daughters. And with our promised assured position of royalty, we don't have to self-glorify, we don't have to self-promote. Knowing that I'm adopted son and that he disciplines me, and that He also loves me, that means that I can make myself vulnerable and I can share where I'm being disciplined. I can share my sin. But because of His steadfast love to me and the grace that He's shown to me, I can be discreet about their sins. I don't have to gossip or broadcast them. In other words, that's what brothers and sisters living in a home look like. And the world sees that and they wonder. And they marvel and they say, oh, to live in such a place. Well, this morning as I conclude, let me just reiterate. You have been called by God into an intimate, loving relationship. Where He is not only your Father, He is your King. And in this relationship, He's promised you a house. He's making you into a great house. But in that house, we live and we abide as if in a house. And that is promised for us now to experience and forever. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, as we prepare to come to your table now, I ask that you would use the cup and the bread and that we would see this as a feast with you. That we're feasting now like a sampler plate, a small buffet, pointing to that great day in your house where you sit at the head of the table with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit to welcome us home to that great feast as sons and daughters. So, Father, we ask that you would strengthen our faith. Strengthen our faith even now that you would continue to mold us and shape us and craft us into the very image of sons and daughters in the name that we bear in Christ's name. Amen.